Command Performance USA, the greatest entertainers in America, as requested by you, the fighting men of the United States Armed Forces throughout the world. Command Performance! Presented this week and every week till it's over, over there. Get on the beam there, men. Here comes your personal radio show, Command Performance. Our opening letter is from Seaman First Class BRJ on a battleship somewhere in the South Pacific. He says, Dear Command Performance, maybe I'm just an old deck swabber, but I've got a lot of young ideas. One of them is Betty Grable. I happened to read in the last Walter Winchell column I saw that Betty was keeping company with George Rath. Please tell Betty that we've got a nice big battleship. Why should she waste her time with a raft? <laughs> well, brother, you've got something there, and we've got something here, too. She's yours for tonight. Fellas, Miss Betty Grable. <laughs> Thank you, Paul Douglas, and hello there, fellas. I told Mama not to wait up tonight because I'm going out short wave. I'm going out with all the fighting men in Uncle Sam's Army, Navy, Marines, and Coast Guard. And that's just about the biggest blind date any girl ever had. And I don't mind telling you boys that I'm carrying the torch for you. And so is that lady in the harbor back in New York. The studio here is so full of stars we could almost get along without light. So I'd better start answering your commands. First, a salute to the boys of Unit 855, United States Marine Corps. The address is a military secret, but the letter is signed by M.D.G. Jr., who hails from Culpeper, Virginia. For him and his gang, we proudly present Miss Judy Canova. Here's a song for me to you, and I hope you like it. I had a sailor courting me for quite a spell Miss simple life of country folk Now when he told me that he wanted to go away way, My little heart he almost arose I said, you know it's true, I love you best of all So honey, don't you go away way. Now just as he went to go in with my heart And so these words he heard me Darn, that's pretty. <laughs> Some of these days, you're gonna miss me, honey. Oh, some of these days, you're gonna feel so cool. You'll miss my hope, you'll miss my kiss, you'll miss me, honey. March 22nd, a very amusing man gave a lecture to sailors 
in which he discussed the facts of life. Apparently, he gives such valuable advice that you men have called him back for a second triumphant appearance on command performance. Robert Bensley. Thank you, Miss Grable. This is a little talk that I'm going to deliver tomorrow to a group of young women about to enter a short course in nursing. I just want to see what you think of it. I don't know. I may tear the whole thing up anyway. (laughs) Young ladies, I'm going to say, if I say anything, young ladies, I am happy to speak a few words of cheer to you on this sure day of matriculation. Perhaps I shouldn't even have said that. (laughs) (laughs) Perhaps I shouldn't have started the talk at all. If you can't say a word like matriculation without... Well, anyway, I do feel, however, that a word or two of warning may not be out of place from an old man who has been very close to several nurses and vice versa. (laughs) I like to think of us all as just one big family, don't you? (laughs) First, there comes the problem of bathing in bed. I mean, of course, bathing the patient in bed. (laughs) Well, uh... Let's look at it from another angle. (laughs) Let's take the subject of changing the bedding after bathing the patient in bed. Now, as I see it, the problem is to get the bottom sheet out from under the patient without tossing him too far in the air or catapulting him on the floor on the other side. This can be done by calling his attention to something outside the window, counting one, two, three, and then not changing the bottom sheet at all. He won't know the difference in a couple of minutes anyway. So. <laughs> now, once you've got the patient washed and the bed linen changed, there's a question of... Uh... I wonder if you'd like to hear something about... <laughs> something about the work we're trying to do among our boys up at our little camp in Silver Lake. I don't think it's generally known that most of our boys up there are between the age of 16. (laughs) We feel that by taking the boy at this age, we can get him into closer touch not only with his parents, his school, and his band people, lots of people, but also (laughs) with the town in which he lives, the flag to which he pays allegiance, and to the town in which he lives. I was talking on this subject only last week at our uptown branch, asking for contributions for the camp. And at the conclusion of my talk, a little old lady, dressed all in lavender, came up on the platform and, placing her hand on my arm, asked, What the hell did you do with all the money we gave you last year? (laughs) Well, (laughs) I just laughed and pushed her off the platform. But I quote that only to show how much interest people are taking in our camp and how bright the future seems to be for it. Or did I say that? Well, anyway, to get back to what I was going to say to the young ladies who are training to be nurses. From my experience with nurses, I think that I'm right in making the suggestion that the nurse is likely to hang around the room too much. Is that right? I don't know. Nurses are often very charming young ladies. I say this entirely on hearsay. I never happen to draw one. I hear about these guys with beautiful nurses, but the one I usually get looks like whirl away with a cap on. (laughs) Only kidding, Miss Tuttle. We now come to the subject of hospital bedroom equipment and its use. 
But I see that my time is about up. <laughs> and so uh, we shall have to postpone this section until our next meeting. Well, maybe the time isn't quite up yet, but it will be by the time I've announced that I will be in the vestry at the close of this talk for consultation with any of you young ladies who still want to continue nursing after what I've just said and who would like to try getting this shoulder of mine back into place. Uh, in the vestry, and this goes for you too, fellas. What have I said? <laughs> very much, Bob Benchley. And now for two sergeants and eight privates in the field artillery, APO 957, somewhere in the Pacific area, Command Performance present, presents the world's greatest trumpet player, Harry James and his music makers. <laughs>
Back into the mailbag now, we find a letter from the gang at the U.S. Naval Air Station, Coco Solo Canal Zone. It is signed by ACH, who says, I suppose you're swamped with requests, and it will be some time before you get to mine. But I'll be waiting for Jack Benny. Well, ACH, suppose I refer your request to the heavyweight champion of microphonia, Don Wilson. Thank you. Thank you, Betty. Thank you. Gosh, she's beautiful. You said it. And now, fellows, we bring you a man who used to be a beautiful baby, Jack Benny. Say, Don, when I smiled at Harry James, you see how worried Phil Harris looked? Hi, Jello. Hello again, this is Jack Benny talking, and Don, I like that beautiful baby introduction. Was that just a lucky guess, or did you have authentic information? Well, uh, Jack, when I was over to your house for dinner the other night, I took a peek at that old family album of yours. Oh, Don. And I must say you were a gorgeous infant. Were you really so good looking? Well, I don't want to sound hammy or anything like that, but for the first 17 months of my life, I was a length ahead of Robert Taylor. In fact, I won four blue diapers. <laughs> I can imagine. Say, Don, I'll bet you were quite a healthy-looking kid yourself, weren't you? Well, Jack, I, I don't... Can, I could just see you as a baby, Don, bouncing your mother on your knees. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I can hear your mother singing to you, Rock-a-bye, baby, on the treetop. Oh, she sure did. That tree must have been a redwood. <laughs> well, anyway, I'd like to be a baby again. I really shouldn't keep talking like this, but I was about the cutest little Dickens and Waukegan. In fact, people from all around used to come to my father's meat market just to see me. Huh? Meat market? Why, I thought your father ran a clothing store. Well, Don, it was a combination meat market and clothing store. On Saturdays, we used to run a special, a pound of hamburger with two pair of pans. <laughs> oh, it went over very big. I remember one time... Hello, when... Jack. What are you talking about? We are talking about me. Don just happened to mention that he saw my family album and that I was a beautiful child. You beautiful? Yes, I was. Not only that, I developed very quickly. When I was only three months old, I had four lovely teeth. Well, you're right back where you started from. <laughs> We should get laughs like that on our own show. <laughs> oh, now, listen, Mary. I have a full set of teeth right now. And with the exception of a little argument I had with a cab driver in Toledo, they're all my own. And what's that price tag doing on the third molar? <laughs> Don't be funny. Say, Jack, did I hear you say that you had an argument with a cab driver in Toledo? Yes, but of course, that was years ago. Well, what was the fight all about? Oh, nothing. He just happened to say something I didn't like, and and he hit me. <laughs> Otherwise, Toledo was lovely. Say, Don, when you were looking through the, that album, did you see the picture of Jack's uncle on the big white horse? Yes, I did. That was my Uncle Beaumont, you know. And did you see the tree in back with a rope dangling from it and that big crowd of men standing around? Mary, my uncle didn't steal that horse. That was just a that was just a scene from a Western movie he was making called The Code of the West. <laughs> what are you laughing at? I'll bet he never saw the preview. <laughs> I 
he did, and he was a fine actor. Hey, Mr. Benny. Oh, hello. Hello, Dennis. I didn't see you. Oh, I was around here. I heard you telling everybody what a beautiful baby you were. Well, Don brought up the subject. I didn't. never mentioned it. Have uh, you got any cute baby pictures, Dennis? None where I'm facing the camera. <laughs> oh. You know, Mr. Benny, I wasn't a very pretty kid, but I was as smart as a whip. Smart, eh? I'll bet you were. All right, you can laugh, but when I was 12 years old, I recited the Gettysburg Address. At 12? What's clever about that? Could Lincoln do it? <laughs> All right, Dennis, we won't go into that. But if you were so smart at the age of 12, what happened to you in the meantime? I don't know. All of a sudden, everything went blank. <laughs> That's what I thought. Say, uh, where's Phil? Oh, he's around here somewhere. By the way, Jack, I don't know whether I ought to tell you this or not, but uh, Phil's pretty sore about that crack you made at rehearsal. What crack? You know, when you told him that if he didn't like it here, uh, he could go out and get his own program. Oh. Well, gee, Don, I was only kidding. I I didn't mean anything. Well, Phil took it pretty seriously, and he said he's going to leave you. Leave me? Why, I made the guy. Gee. When I picked him up, he was demonstrating curlers in a drugstore window. <laughs> Say, Mary, Mary, did Phil say anything to you about this wild scheme of his? Well, yes and no. What do you mean, yes and no? Yes, he told me, and no, I ain't, I ain't going to tell, tell you. you. I ain't going to tell you. All right, I'm not worried about it. I can get another orchestra leader. The matter with Harry James, that's bad, I suppose. <laughs> anyway, Phil ought to be loyal enough to discuss things with me before he takes any definite step. Hey, Jack, Jack, here he comes now. Oh, yeah. Oh, hello, Phil. Hiya, Jackson. How's the boy? Jackson. <laughs> you know, Phil, it's cute the way you call me that every week, you know. Say, what's this gag I hear about you getting your own program? It's not a gag. You and I have been fighting so much lately, I thought it'd be better to call it quits. That's all. Oh, that's silly. Silly nothing. You're just tough to get along with. That's all. Who, me? Yes, you. You're always flying off the handle. I am not. I'm sweet and lovable. And you're always yelling and shouting at me. Shouting at and you? And you're always losing your temper. Why, you baggy-eyed ingrate, I never lose my temper, and you know it. <laughs> I love you, you louse. <laughs> oh, sure, sure. Well, now listen to me, Phil Harris. Gee, you think they were married. <laughs> Keep out of this, Dennis. Now, look. Look, Phil, look. I'm not begging you to stay on this program. And get up off your knees. <laughs> I'm not on my knees. Anyway, Phil, there's no use arguing about it. You can't leave me because we've got a contract. Some contract. I supply the orchestra, and when people throw money at us, I have to split it with you. <laughs> oh, how often does that happen? Maybe once in a fortnight. <laughs> and another. And another thing. Oh, Jack, what are you beefing about? If Phil wants to go, let him go. Certainly. You can get Abe Lyman to take his place. Oh, that would be fine. Abe Lyman happens to be the cab driver that punched me in Toledo. <laughs> all I need. Say, Jack, you know a lot about music. Uh, why don't you form your own orchestra? Well, maybe I will. Say, I could organize a darn good swing band, believe me. If you do, I got a swell name for it. Never mind. What is it, Mary? Jack Benny and his stinkolas. <laughs> Listen, Mary, I don't have to worry about getting a band together because Phil is only bluffing. If he went out on his own, where would he get a sponsor? Don't worry about me. I've got a sponsor. Oh, you have, eh? Yeah, I'm going on the air for McMillan's Corn Plasters. Corn plaster? Yes, corn plaster. Well, that fits. Half the time you're corny and the other half you're plaster. 
Anyway, Phil, if you're smart, you'd stay right here and try to be a little more... I'll answer it. Hello? Hello, Mr. Benny, this is Rochester. <laughs> Oh, you. What do you want? Are you planning to come home for dinner tonight? Well, certainly I am. Well, if you want some to eat, you better bring some food home with you. What are you talking about? There was plenty of food in the icebox when I left the house this morning. What happened to it? In the which? In the icebox. When I left this morning, it was just bulging with food. Well, the swelling's going down now. <laughs> Rochester, did you throw another party this afternoon? Well, come to think of it, a few of my friends dropped in for some tea and donuts. Now, listen, if you just served tea and donuts, what happened to all those lamb chops? Well, I ran out of donuts. Yes? So we bored holes in the chops and dumped them. <laughs> That's fine. Well, what happened to the big roast turkey that was in the icebox? Oh, that. That was first prize in the bingo game. <laughs> well, that's the last straw. Now, you just see that there's some food in the house when I get there. Okay, goodbye. Goodbye. Oh, say, boss. Now what? As long as you're coming home, will you bring my fan mail? Yes, yes, I'll bring it. Goodbye. Darn that Rochester eats me out of house and home. Well, that's all for us, fellas. Good luck and give them hell. Thanks a lot, Jack Benny and Company. Now a very nice letter from a very nice sergeant at Army Post Office Number 803A at Surinam, South America. Dear Command Performance, I'm one of the many listeners to your program for the fighting men of the good old USA. You know, we fellas can't thank you enough for the wonderful work you're doing all for us. Our favorite singer is Mary Martin, and we'll be patiently waiting and listening for her sweet and lovely voice. Well, Sergeant, you don't have to wait any longer. Here she is, lovely Mary Martin. Thank you, Betty, and thanks to the sergeant and all the other men in Uncle Sam's fighting forces who have invited me to appear on this program. If the Bing Crosby show is within your listening range, you've probably heard Victor Borger's upper language. It's a new kind of talk based on the idea that since everything is higher today, all the numbers in the words we speak should be increased by one. Wonderful becomes tutorful. To pay becomes three pay, and lieutenant becomes loot eleventh, and so forth. One of our latest song hits carries out this idea. It's called My Tutorful Little Lute Eleventh. With the assistance of the music maids and Hal and Harry James Orchestra, I'd like to sing it for you now. <laughs> There's a handsome lieutenant, and he's mine, oh my. No word is high enough, no praise to the sky enough. So I have to raise all the words by one. He is much more than wonderful, so I add one. I call him beautiful, but one more than wonderful. In fact, he's just three, three divine. He is much beautiful, little, little, eleven, and, and he comes from Timbuk. He's my beautiful little Lulu Lavinette. He's the only two for me. It's higher praises that he deserves, so I sing his praises in higher words. He is my 
like my blind date with you is just about over. And when a gal has been shown a good time, it's customary for her to express her appreciation by extending her date the courtesy of a good night kiss. I don't suppose a shortwave kiss can be very effective, but it's the best I can do right now. So here it is. <laughs> oh, Colonel. Well, fellas, if we didn't get around to answering your particular request this time, keep listening. Your letter is probably here in the bag. And take it from me, that battle you're fighting out there is in the bag, too. This is Betty Grable thanking you for the date and reminding you that Hollywood turns out a lot of pictures. But for you, Hollywood just turns out. Goodbye now. We're getting those letters, men, and their orders to us because around here you're the GHQ. Keep on writing to the station to which you're listening and command performance will fill your request. And listen, fella, for a time there, the Axis was getting pretty cocky. Right now, their worry is khaki. See you later. (laughs) 